0: Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, we're wrapping up our season with a special dish best served straight out of the toaster. Slad.
1: Well, welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Seth Nelson. And as always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. What is SLAD?
0: Well, this is your fault. It is our new acronym. I want to put it on a shirt. I want it everywhere. It stands for Subsequent Lawsuits After Divorce. Yes, you, you <laughs> decided that was going to be our title. I blame you, sir. Okay, I didn't say make it into a t-shirt. It's going to be a t-shirt, and it's going to have like a line art drawing of your face on it.
1: Oh, man.
0: Amazing. I dream we won't be able
1: to pay people to wear (laughs) that shirt. (laughs) That's the shirt that's like, oh, that's the rag we use to wash the car. You know what?
0: I, I think we are an aspirational show if we are nothing else, Seth Nelson. Absolutely. We've got, a, we've got a bunch to talk about today. You wanted to talk about subsequent lawsuits after divorce. I'm actually excited to talk about this, and I I think I understand how to start. Uh, but I do have a passage I would like to read that had me—it mm, it really sets up this lingering frustration that you have given me about the legal system— and I think it sets up our conversation. Will, will you uh, indulge me in a little bit of uh, narrative, Grace? Little,
1: little reading bedtime story. Yeah, Have at it.
0: A bedtime story from Pete. Uh, this is from the uh, book Real World Divorce. Uh, the court has decided that one healthy adult should be a financial dependent of another adult, but the extent and period of dependency is left open. The legislature and the court have decided that the child should be a cash-producing asset, but the ownership of that asset is uncertain and constantly reviewable. The court leaves open questions as to who will pay for certain of the child's expenses. The court orders people to go about their daily lives in a certain way, but the, way, but the only way to get these orders enforced is to keep going back to court and paying fees. Seth, I that confounds me. Not the individual words; I do know what they mean. The entire sentiment in here confounds me, sir. Doesn't this set up the entire universe of subsequent uh, lawsuits after the divorce? It it does. Um, you found a great passage.
1: Now, all jurisdictions are different, but the the theme the feeling that when you get your final judgment and you are so happy, like I'm done, I'm done with the litigation process. The only time that I've ever seen cases that are truly done is when there's no minor children, Mm -hmm. neither spouse is going to pay alimony to the other, The only thing, not the only, they have divided all of their assets and debts before the final judgment is signed by the judge. So literally, there is nothing left to transfer. You don't have to sell a house together. You don't have to transfer a 401k or an IRA to the other party. No one owes anybody attorney's fees or back alimony that might have been due during dependency. You've closed all your bank accounts. You've closed all your joint credit card accounts. You've closed all your memberships.
0: You've deleted each other's names out of your phones. It is (laughs) done. Yeah. Okay.
1: Things have to be agreed to and implemented
0: to their conclusion for it to actually be done. So this is, I think, a really important thing that we need to say out loud, for me, (laughs) that when you begin a divorce, unless all of those things can be true, the divorce process does not end when you sign on the line which is dotted, right? The divorce process ends, could be years later.
1: I have been divorced now for almost 15 years. Technically, my divorce was over 15 years ago. But you still have a child together. That's right, and he's 17. Yeah, you got one more year. Yep, and I do not argue with my former spouse about parenting issues. We have nothing to argue about. We work very well together. Mm -hmm. But I have cases, and I'm well aware of cases, when kids are 16, 17 years old, And they may or may not want to go to the other parent's home. They suddenly get that choice. It's not a choice in good old great state of Florida. They can, if they're of sufficient age and maturity, as determined by the court to have an opinion, they can then state that opinion to the court. But the court doesn't have to
0: accept it. Yeah. Okay. So this, this gets to the nature of my questions for you today. My understanding is that these the the reason you would go back to court after your divorce is, I'll say, finalized for me being a a lack of an understanding of anything better that you would go back. One, uh, because something related to the kids, like you're not getting child support, you're not that was ordered or agreed upon. Is is that a a broad enough category to say, like, this is a thing to look out for?
1: No, no. Here's what we're going to look at. Okay. First off, if you go to a trial and you don't have a settlement agreement and the judge makes their ruling and then will ultimately sign a final judgment, you can appeal or the other side can appeal. Okay. So first we have appeals. Okay. Then other broad brushstroke categories, you finished it. You, you either agreed or you went to trial. No one's appealing it. But it's two years later. Mm-hmm. You come back to modify the final judgment to change it. The areas okay. in Florida family law, check your local jurisdiction, ring the bell. Uh-huh. Parenting plan. Items dealing with kids can always be relooked at. It's a higher standard, but the courthouse door is open. It mm-hmm. might be cracked open. But you can come back in.
0: Well, what do you mean by higher standard? What is it that is going to trigger those doors to be kicked open? In Florida, it has to be what's called a
1: substantial change in circumstances. Okay. That was not anticipated at the time of the final judgment. So I got divorced when I was two. My kid's now 10. I can't come back and say, judge, my kid's 10. It's a totally different parenting plan for a 10-year-old than a two-year-old. The judge is going to be, that might be true, Mr. Nelson. but. We all anticipated that the child would reach age 10. You don't get to modify.
0: Yeah, right. Okay. I get it.
1: Judge, I say, I'm the dad. I got a great job offer, an amazing job offer. CNN called and wants me to be their legal uh, analysis, go-to guy. And I need to move to Atlanta and spend time in New York. I can no longer live in Tampa to accept this job.
0: That is a significant change in circumstances. I want to
1: change the parenting plan. That would be a long-distance parenting plan, okay? Okay. It's called a, it's called a relocation, because in that case, I'm moving more than 50 miles than where I am now mm-hmm. at the time of the final judgment. So that would make sense, right? Okay. Judge, my spouse comes back into court and says, Seth has been an amazing dad for the last 10 years. He's really sick and he's got a mental illness that's causing X, Y, and Z, and it's negatively impacting the child.
0: Significant change. Yeah. Okay.
1: Right. Okay. okay. Unanticipated. So, right. so we've got appeals. We've got parenting issues, mm-hmm. contempt and enforcement. Judge. Seth was supposed to pay alimony. Seth's supposed to pay child support. He's not paying. Yes. Now you're back in court arguing for the piece of paper to
0: make him pay. Okay. Contempt and enforcement. This is a thing that's always kind of been noodling at me. Let's say Seth's not paying. The court says, Seth, you have to pay. And Seth continues to say, I'm not paying, or I don't have the money, or I'm, I'm not going to be able to support you. There's a lot to unpack
1: there. To get contempt in Florida, you have to prove, right, I'm not paying. I go in there and say, judge, can't afford it. Don't have the money. Mm-hmm the other side burden to show that I have the money to pay. Okay, And if I had the money, then I'm in will for contempt. I had it. I have it. I knew there was an order. I didn't abide by it. It's called indirect civil contempt because indirect, it doesn't happen in the courtroom. So I'm not in contempt of court of looking at the judge and flicking him or her bird. That's right when the judge sees it. Now you're in contempt. yeah, Sir, I told you to stop talking and I keep talking. You're in contempt of okay. court. Direct. I saw it. I told you to do something. You didn't do it. You're in contempt. Okay. And when you're sitting in a courtroom and the judge says, sir, you're in contempt of court, bailiff, take them away. You're going to go sit in a cell for a minute or two. Okay.
0: There's a t- you get a timeout.
1: Yep. Depending on the severity, how long that might be. Okay. So then indirect is you're not in the courtroom. You're out there and I'm not paying my child support. I'm not paying my alimony. I'm not transferring. Right now it gets a little nuanced. I'm not transferring an asset in equitable distribution. You ready for this, Pete? Yeah, please lay it on me. In the great state of Florida, if I have a bank account that has my name on it and the judge award half of it to my wife and I don't transfer that money, equitable distribution in Florida is not enforceable by contempt.
0: Like, why is that? This is it. That's it. I have no, what is, what's going on? Right. How does that happen? Welcome, welcome to my
1: world. That's the the way the law is written. So as a lawyer, when someone doesn't do that, I go in there and I say, this is me trying to be a clever lawyer. Okay. Judge, I know I can't get contempt. It's sitting there. There's an order. I want to garnish it. I want you to freeze that account and i'm going to have the bank give me the money. Okay, can they do that? Yeah. Mhm. The other thing i can do is say judge, he owes my client $100,000. There is $200,000 in the bank. It's still in the bank.
0: Okay. So the judge can make orders if you make a a good enough case, the judge can order the bank to give you the money.
1: That's right. And then you got to bring in the bank and like yeah. and get an order for the bank to do it and freeze and that happens all the time when people do collection work. Okay. Okay. All right. So there's just ways to do that. There's also something called a money judgment. Judge, he was supposed to pay $100,000. He didn't pay it. I just want a money judgment saying that he owes me the money. I know I have a final judgment that says he owes me. He's supposed to transfer it. He didn't, so he still owes it. I get what's called a money judgment. The money judgment, I can then go to another hearing and get an order to take to the bank. Okay? Okay. All right. So there's all these procedural steps that get very confusing and nuanced, and this is why people hate lawyers and hate the process, because there might be two or three ways to get to the same thing when all we want is the 100 grand that was already due and owing to us. Right.
0: Well, and I think that that goes to some of the negative opinions of lawyers, what you just described, if I wasn't doing this podcast with you, it would be pretty easy for me to make you the vessel of my confusion and my rage if I were in a divorce process. Any legal process. I I can, yeah, I can totally see that when, in fact, you just told me something that is, I'm gobsmacked, I'm flabbergasted that that isn't more sufficiently noted in the law. That's crazy. Right,
1: right. You would think, there's an order. You got to do it or there's yeah. serious consequences. Right. And we've talked about this before. I file a motion for contempt and enforcement. I have to serve it on the other person. Then I've got to set it for a hearing. And then I got it. And that's three months out. And then I got to go to the hearing and I have to order a court reporter because if the judge makes a mistake, I want to have a transcript of what the judge did. And then I win my hearing. And then I have to submit the judge because the judges don't write their own orders I have to submit a proposed order, but I got to show it to the other side first. And that takes 10 days. And then I submit it to the judge, but the judge is in a week-long trial and is working really hard, but doesn't get to it for another week because I'm not the only case. I'm one of 5,000 cases. And then I get the order in all this time.
0: They haven't paid. May, may it please, court, procedural question. Who writes the judge's orders if not the judge? The lawyer's.
1: Like you? Yeah, all the time. We get done. The thing that I love to hear at the end of a hearing, I argue my case, they argue their case. If the judge starts out, okay, I've heard really great arguments from both sides. They compliment the lawyers. They they say to the parties, these are difficult issues. Mr. Nelson, I'm going to want you to write the order. I love hearing that. <laughs>
0: Because Because I won. It makes
1: you a lobbyist. Because I No, because I won. (laughs) They assign it to the winner to write the the order.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. So now I write the order. It's a proposed order. I have to send it to the other side to see if they agree. And if they agree, we upload it to the judge. And the judge is going to look it over to make sure it comports with their notes. But if there's no disagreement, it usually just flies right through. Okay.
0: How what kind of involvement does your does your client have in seeing those orders? Is that a thing that you kind of work with them on the process?
1: Yeah. I do. I write the yeah. order up and I say to my client, this is what the judge decided. I'm going to submit it to opposing counsel. Do you have any yeah. views on it? They're hiring me to do that stuff. And yeah, there'll yeah, be yeah. nuances in there that I'll explain to them. But yeah, no, judges don't necessarily write their own orders.
0: Well, I was just thinking in terms of the process, what would I expect? And and that that would be a surprise to me. Uh, right you were doing that. That's, fa- that's fascinating. Okay. All right. So, we've, we've talked about appeals, parenting plan, contempt and enforcement. Uh, is is there an everything else or is there another broad category we need to put in here before we move on?
1: That's that's
0: everything. Those it's are the big contempt
1: ones. Contempt and enforcement. Yeah. Now, there's all sorts of what I call procedural motions, mm-hmm. um, which are kind of leading up to appeal. Judge makes a ruling, and you're not necessarily required to file these to, to make sure you don't lose your right to appeal judge makes a ruling, you might do a motion for reconsideration. Okay. You might do a motion for clarification.
0: Is that pretty much I I don't agree with you. I need you to I need you to rethink it. Well, right.
1: Reconsideration is like, hey judge, you might have missed something yeah. or hey, you know, this new case came out that wasn't there at the time that we had our hearing and that impacts our right. Yeah. Clarification, sometimes you write an order and the other side doesn't agree and you submit competing orders to the judge or you lay out in a cover letter, here's where we disagree. And the judge picks and chooses and does what they think is right. And they write it and you read it. And it's a bit, maybe say there's some ambiguity in it. Yeah. So I'm just looking for clarification, judge. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just don't understand what you're ordering my client to do.
0: Sure, sure.
1: Right. And it's never like you just pick up the phone. It's filing a motion. You got to write. And I always think of this. This is why I teach my young lawyers and I'm talking to my clients. I explain this to them. When we file a motion, think of the word motion. We want somebody to move. That somebody is the judge. And what we want the judge's motion to be is with their hand. We want them to sign an order. That's the motion I'm looking for from the judge to sign an order in our favor. Okay. So a motion should lead to an order, and there's a whole lot of stuff in between.
0: All right. But at least we get A to Z, even if we don't have all the letters in between. Exactly. All right. Exactly. But here's the problem.
1: Let's just start with the first one on appeal. Mm-hmm. I don't do appellate work. I'm going to send you to another lawyer. Now, some trial lawyers will do appellate law, and some
0: don't. What is, the, what is the major sort of categorical distra- difference between appellate work and your kind of work?
1: You've obviously heard of the United States Supreme Court, Bush v. <laughs> Ring, Gore. Rings a bell. Right? Yeah. Right? Okay. Those were lawyers standing in front of a panel of judges, and they are arguing that the lower court, that the judge made a mistake. Okay. You don't have witnesses, you don't have depositions, you don't have discovery. You take the record that was created in the trial court, the evidence presented, what people said, the argument, legal arguments that were made. You take that whole body and you appeal it to another panel of judges and those judges are going to look at the record. Look at the case law, look at what was presented to determine whether the lower court made a mistake. So here's the easy way to think about it on sports. We all see instant replay and it goes to the booth in New York. Mm-hmm. That's the appeals judge
0: okay they're in the booth they're in a booth they're
1: right. They're not having the play run again. They're not asking the coaches what they think they're not they're looking at it. They're analyzing what they see. Against the rules of the game, i.e., the law, and they're determining whether what the refs called on the field was correct. That's what appeals court do.
0: They don't even want to meet any of the other players. They're not allowed to. They're not allowed to. Okay, all right. It's done. Okay. So when you're thinking about this in terms of your the average sort of family law workload, how many uh, divorces would you say go through an a- appeals process like this in some way, shape, or form? Very few. Very few. Yes. I would not have expected that.
1: Here's why. Only about 10% of the cases actually go to a trial. Oh, sure. So you're not going to appeal anything that wasn't tried. Because if it wasn't tried, the judge didn't have the opportunity to even make a mistake because you've settled your case. Okay. Okay. All right. So then you take the, that number and you shrink it down even more because it's expensive.
0: Yeah. Once you've gone through the process of going through a trial, uh, by the time you get around to rethinking things, the dollar signs might have an impact.
1: And unlike Bush v. Gore, where the ballots were cast, in a family law case, things keep happening. Yeah. Right, the kid keeps getting older, someone still doesn't pay. Yeah. So I know of a nightmare case that's gone on for 10 years.
0: Wow. Uh, what So cases that don't go to trial, they can still have law. Lo- you can still sue over some some facet of the divorce that hasn't been met up to. Right. These other categories. Well,
1: if it doesn't go to travel, you
0: settle. Uh-huh.
1: There's a final judgment. That's a court order. Mm-hmm. Someone doesn't pay their alimony. Contempt and so enforcement. Contempt
0: and enforcement.
1: Somebody loses their job. Significant change of uh, in if, circumstances. If circumstances.
0: Parenting plan, perhaps.
1: Perhaps, but definitely child support and potentially alimony, Mm -hmm. right? There's all these things that are constantly changing. Someone gets a really good job, a new job, their child support can go up. All right. So there's always ways to modify, okay? I know some lawyers, they hate all of these post-judgment issues so much, they don't touch them. They don't take the case. They only do the original divorce.
0: Okay. And then they move on. And then they move on. You, well, this is, so do you, this is a different thing that we're talking about then, than the, uh, uh, you not doing appellate work. That's right. That's right. It's like, I still got to go fight in the trial court some more. So here's the thing
1: that I want people to understand though. Because we're getting all lost in all these different things post-judgment and appeals and what's contempt of enforcement. Am I in the trial court? Am I in the appellate court? It gets nuanced and confusing and overwhelming. This is why you really need to think about what is the return on the investment, the cost-benefit analysis, before you go back to court. Do you want to call up and say, hmm... He was supposed to pay 50% of gymnastics. Gymnastics cost me 250 bucks. He didn't pay. I would tell you no. One, make your notes. Make sure that you sent him the receipt, that you did it in a timely manner, that you got the response no or he failed to respond, that you followed up and keep your little spreadsheet, keep your checklist, make it all nice and neat. Don't call the lawyer on the 125 Mm -hmm. when he doesn't pay And its four grand that he's like tallied up over the last year or two. Suddenly you have a pattern.
0: Now it's worth calling a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. Right. So Uh, post divorce circumstances, let's say you like your circumstances don't change personally in terms of your job, but you remarry and your new spouse has makes much better money. Okay, so this is a huge hypothetical that I'm yeah, getting yeah, yeah. remarried.
1: I got to find someone, you know, I don't want to say dumb enough to marry me because if my girlfriend marries me, then I'm calling her dumb. So I don't know where I'm <laughs> going with this,
0: but <laughs> okay, I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Can, is there ever a circumstance in which a new spouse would ever be roped in? How do you, it just doesn't exist.
1: Not in Florida. The new, the new spouse's income is not applicable. Now, people will play games. And all of a sudden, like someone had a business and now they get married and now they're saying they're not working and the spouse is getting all the money. Okay. Like when you're playing hide the ball, but you marry someone, whether they're making money or not, it should not be applicable to child support. Okay. It could have an impact on alimony. One, if you're receiving alimony in the great state of Florida and you get remarried unless your settlement agreement says anything else, your alimony stops. Oh. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. Especially if you're receiving alimony. So it's not uncommon to lawyers to get phone calls on people that get along that says, My former spouse, I get along with her. She met this great guy. I like him. We vacation together. Yeah. They're not getting married because I'm paying alimony. What do you suggest, Seth? I'm like, give them a nice wedding gift. Yeah. They're like, what do you mean? Move along. I said buy out your alimony. If you're paying for another 10 years at $1,000 a month, that's $12,000 a year, 10 years. That adds up. Mm -hmm. Can you give her a lump sum now? Can you give them a lump sum now that is time value of money with some interest and you discount it because she's getting it all now or he's getting it all now and you've got the assets to do it. You pay it off. Everyone lives happily ever after. And someone said, well, why would I pay early? I said, well, because it's modifiable. What happens if you lose your job? What happens if your former spouse becomes disabled and can't work and now you're paying for longer? There's all these things. I like finality and it's hard to get finality in family law.
0: Right, right. As, as the case you have made, I have a, we I, believe it or not, Seth, we have a listener question.
1: I, I don't know what to say. I'm excited. You You just told me last week, Seth, I'm going to put up a, uh, a button for, for ask a question, and here we are,
0: yeah, not even we have a, a week question. later. It is a, it, it's a good and I think related question. It is a two-part question, and one of them is directly to you personally, Seth Nelson. I'm going to read part one first. Let's be clear. I didn't know we had these questions till right now. I know. I have given you no preparation at all. This is a pop
1: a quiz in its greatest extent.
0: Terrible podcast partner. That's me. <laughs> here we go. Hey, guys, uh, I heard Pete talking about this show on the What's That Smell podcast, and I thought I'd throw two questions your way. This is from uh, listener Amy D. Number one. I think you've talked about prenups on the show before, but I wonder if you could if you think that prenups could in any way make the divorce more fragile. I'm recently successfully divorced and we had a prenup, his idea, and I wonder if the prenup gave him a sense that the marriage was somehow disposable. Like he didn't care for it as much because he didn't have as much at stake. I hope I'm making sense. What do you think?
1: Amy D, you're thank you for the question. You're making salute sense. There there's studies on this i don't know the numbers the percentage of people that get divorced is higher potentially higher when you have a prenup
0: really i was to- i did yep. would not have been able to uh, predict that response yeah i thought she was making a mountain out of a molehill
1: mo- it's partly because what amy is talking about like i know the outcome okay now i will share with you that I think it is a mistake to stay in a marriage that is not what you hope and want it to be because you're afraid of an outcome in divorce court. Sure. Right? right. So knowing the outcome, it, it does have a higher sense of, a higher number of divorces on people that have prenups or postnups. It does make the divorce process
0: easier. Well, I sure, I imagine everything's pretty much decided. As
1: long as we're not challenging the prenup,
0: yeah,
1: ooh, which I've had cases where we do. It happens. When a client or a bride signs it the prenup on the hood of the limo in her dress outside of the church, that's under duress, probably not enforceable. okay. <sighs>
0: But that's what the, that's how great movie scenes are made, Seth. There's a sense of urgency to the scene. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and she's pregnant and, and about she's to pregnant. have the baby. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Let's
1: really get urgent. Yeah.
0: No, lock so. it down. Um uh, that's fascinating. Amy D, great
1: question though. I think that, that I don't know what happened in your case specifically. I don't know what his view was getting married or or why he wanted a, a prenup. But the sentiment that you're expressing, I would, ag- I would agree with that there is some sort of, for lack of a better word, clarity or comfort of knowing what the outcome might be, which then makes it not as fearful because not knowing has fear. And if you're not as fearful in the process, maybe it's easier to, you know, get that get out of jail free card, for lack of a better phrase.
0: Part two of Amy D's question. Seth. As a divorced dad in what sounds to be a fun relationship with a new partner, what do you honestly think of marriage? Is there anything in the way of you getting married again down the road? Sorry to be so personal, but I'm wandering a bit through my own feelings on this. Thanks for a great show.
1: Well, thank you very much for that question and for complimenting this show. I am a hopeless romantic. I cannot Uh... wait to get married again to my girlfriend, Susie. I'm going to get in a whole lot of trouble on this one now. I hope that we will do that one day. (laughs) There's been no decisions made. There's nothing imminent happening on that. I think that a lot of people start out saying, I'm never getting married again. Yeah. Why bother? I will be in a committed relationship. There are all these things that people will go through. Mm -hmm. None of those thoughts and feelings are wrong. A lot of millennials are like, why am I getting married? They're waiting longer to get married. They're waiting longer to have kids. So I don't think, though we joke about marriage is the leading cause of divorce, I certainly don't think that um, people should just nix it. Um, I think it's your own personal views. To me, and I'll answer, answer this very personally, Amy D., I think it's different. I think it's different when you're married than when, oh, this is my partner, this is, you know. And let me tell you, my girlfriend, God bless her, she's known for a long time that I've wanted to get married and she is brilliant and she believes in civil rights. And the day that the Supreme Court ruled that gay marriage was now a thing in the United States and that not allowing gays to become married was unconstitutional, I looked at my girlfriend and I said, that argument now goes away from you. And she said, because the longest time, Amy D., she was telling me, I'm not getting married because I'm standing with my gay and lesbian friends. If they can't get married, <laughs> I am not getting married. So that Good one went out her. the window. Yeah. I had to go to the United States Supreme you Court. You had to today, go to the like-
0: Supreme Court. <laughs>
1: but I think you just need to decide for yourself what type of relationship you want to be in and for how long I've got some friends are like, I'm a five-year guy. I date people for five years and I'm out. You know, I've got other people that say, I'm never getting married again, but I want to be in a committed relationship. I've got other people that get married within a year or two. And I would tell you there, slow down a little bit, do that self-healing, do that work. But if and when I get married again, uh, Pete, you know, I can't say you'll be invited to the wedding because I'll be lucky to get invited to the wedding. <laughs> I'm literally <laughs> worried about that. <laughs> but you'll be one of the first to know.
0: I'll, well, I'll tell you, I, I already knew the answer to this question that you're a hopeless romantic. I've known you a long time and I I knew that answer, but I really, I think it's imp- It's important to say that from you because my bias is that there are uh, a lot of attorneys out there who have been divorced and become the kind of jaded bulldog attorneys. And there's just seems to be a lot of stereotype around that, you know?
1: Right. If they're doing that, they haven't done the hard work that we've talked about on the show. Yeah. But I I mean, I've talked about before. I think for me, getting comfortable being alone has made me a better person and made me a better partner to Susie, yeah. understanding and communicating much better than I ever have and figuring it out. And, and I think all those things make a very powerful connection and bond. And I will also share with you, I am not about like some big wedding. Um, it's not like you're in your 20s and, and you think that's what you have to do. Yeah, I mean, like whatever works for you and, and for your spouse to be, you know, keep it simple
0: well Amy D I have to tell you place of honor at the head of the table for you as the first person to find the ask a question button uh, and uh, everybody else please find the button send us questions how to split a toaster. com uh, you'll find it right there in the header
1: and I'll take the legal questions the personal questions any questions
0: you want to throw at us <laughs> you and, know and I have a I'll feeling bet. Pete's not gonna let me know until <laughs> we're here I'll bet even Susie would start taking questions if we asked nicely she's she's uh She's a real game player.
1: Now that I think about it, I think Susie's gonna start asking you questions. So if my boyfriend does this, this is gonna be a problem. Yeah, if she starts
0: if she starts submitting questions with just variants of the name Susie. Susanna wrote this week.
1: I right. can't wait. Oh, my boyfriend, the short Jewish bald lawyer asking for a friend. <laughs>
0: Uh, we're up for a little bit of a break as we as we hit the heat of the summer. Uh, everybody, go on vacation. And while you're there, listen to back episodes. And then when you come back, we'll be back with more episodes. It's going to be great. Uh, you can uh, find the show anywhere fine podcasts are served. Once again, howtosplittertoaster.com. Uh, jump in there. Ask us a question. Seth's got all the answers. And uh, I've got everything else. So. Didn't
1: say they were the right answers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for listening. We appreciate your time and attention. We'll catch you in just a little while, right back here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation
1: with offices in Tampa, Florida.